for August 13th, 2012, it's the Overthinking It Podcast, episode 215, Vengeance for Algernon. Welcome to the Overthinking It Podcast, where we subject the popular culture to a level of scrutiny it probably doesn't deserve. The ocean still stands between us and Matt Rather, so I'm your host for today, Peter Fenzel. I know the uh, Olympics will be done soon, and Matt Rather's uh, quest to win the Olympic gold medal in pedantry will come to an end, <laughs> so come home, hopefully, hopefully he will have uh, emerged victorious, or at least will have given us a sassy look from the silver medal stand, which of course... Well, yes, but at, at that point, you know he's got to go back to his training bunker in Des Moines, Iowa, for more 18-hour days of pedantry rehearsals, so... <laughs> <laughs> Sadly, we're not going to see much more of them. There's all the there's all these uh, teenage pedants there whose bodies won't go through puberty because they're above it, uh, <laughs> because they're they're pedanting too hard. Uh, it's inf- uh, that joke sort of didn't really land the way I wanted to. So we're going to get started. With <laughs> Stick the landing. Stick the landing. Stick the landing. You can do it. Bella Caroli wanted me to do this one. All yeah, right. The, so. the syllable the syllable ped is a harsh mistress there. Oh, this is true. This is true. That's meaning foot. In yes. both cases, I believe. Um, and we're just going to leave that where it lies. So this weekend, as the Olympics stumbles drunkenly towards its home, we're going to change the subject and talk about something else. Uh, this is also the weekend of the brand new Jason Bourne movie. So we're going to talk about that. We're going to talk about another movie that came out this weekend, and we're going to talk about some fun stuff. But first, gentlemen of the panel, no ladies today. We always like to have ladies on the panel, but none today. Your question of the week, in honor of the... Jason Bourne series resuming with Jeremy Renner in the driver's seat. What other movie franchise needs a sequel that tells us events that were happening concurrently at the same time with other movies in the franchise? I believe that's what happens in this new movie, is uh, they give you (laughs) events that are happening in parallel to Matt Damon's adventures through France and whatnot. Uh, So we'll start at the beginning of the alphabet with Matt Belinke. How are you doing, Matt? I'm doing fine. Sorry to disrupt your natural order at the beginning. Oh, that's. I mean, uh, I'm the host, so I'll be at the end this time. I'm doing so. fine. I'm a little bit relieved that the Olympics are over. Because I've yeah. seen, it's, it, there comes a point where you sort of like wonder, like, how many other, how many distances do they actually run? Because they've done like the 100, the 200, the 400, then all of those with the jumping over things, and then like the steeple chasing, and then I think there's one where they run backwards. There's one where they run and have to fish out a flag from inside a giant nose. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> there's the one where they have to run around the earth backwards to rewind time to the beginning of the Olympics. To prevent yeah, no, there were no medals in that this year. But. <laughs> no, no. Um, right, so the idea is like, like, like the Bourne Legacy, it's events that were going on concurrently, sort of dovetailing with the events, but with different characters involved. And I think I'm going to have to go with a movie I, I'd like to call The Bernie Legacy, which goes on at the same time as Weekend at Bernie's. <laughs> um, it would actually connect the events of Weekend at Bernie's 1 and 2. Because what I'm thinking is like it, it's it's unclear exactly what they tell Bernie's family about like why they failed to report the guy is dead for like a week and in fact like continue to have like crazy parties in his house like while his corpse sat on the couch like and was being controlled with like a variety of like strings and 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 uh another sort of sort of like rigged up like an animatronic puppet at Disney World so like my story would be about like the coroner's office in the Hamptons um and it would just be like trying to figure out like why this guy 
how would how it can be that the time of death was like five days ago if like all these people are reporting not only seeing Bernie but in some cases having sex with him, partying <laughs> with him in a hot tub. You know, it's like how is it possible that he's been dead and yet has like had such a busy social calendar? So it's actually it's not a it's not a comedy like the first weekend of Bernie's. It's like a gritty invested. It's it's a procedural. It's a lot like Seven. Really? Is, is it, is it, does it turn out to be a very special episode of the X-Files? <laughs> I don't know. You know, it's, it's like I think I, th- I, th- I think the deal is that like they're, they're so convinced that like it can't just be like a crazy sex farce, that there has to be some sort of foul play on it, that they like inadvertently surface this like demonic cult that's like uh, <laughs> that, that, that's based on like East Hampton. And it's like it, it, the cold was completely unrelated to the events of Weekend of Birdies, but it's sort of like while they're kicking over all these rocks, they find out that like the whole, uh, you know, the, the the whole beach community is in fact like basically it's like an episode of Millennium. If anyone remembers that show, <laughs> actually, Blinky, you know what? You know what? It's more like an episode of, and this is going to be, I think, slightly more obscure, uh, an episode of the hit USA series Royal Pains, which is about a doctor who moves from a big city practice to start working in the Hamptons, actually, of all places. So this could this could very easily be an episode of Royal Pains, where he shows up and he's like, wait a second, how long has this guy actually been dead? Well... <laughs> yeah. well that's the legacy for you. I got it. I, I, w- I would rent that from the Red Box, that's for sure. I'd rent did, that did for a dollar. the Bernie sense. legacy? Yeah. Nice. Well played. Yeah. And actually, that is the sound of our next alphabetical participant in today's panel, Mark Lee. How are you doing, Mark? I'm doing great. So my suggestion, I'm actually shocked this hasn't been done before. Um, why hasn't somebody taken the Godfather movies and made a series of movies told from the perspective of various law enforcement uh, characters who are either trying to crack down on the Mafia or are simultaneously being bought off by the Mafia, um, be they the New York, uh, New York City Police Department, um, who, as you recall, play a prominent role in the first Godfather movie, or the FBI, who play a prominent role in the second Godfather movie. Um, so, I mean, this prompts me to think, like, what is it with the rights to the Godfather stories that has prevented somebody from just, like, either making a TV show or slash uh, movie slash a whole lot of money from this sort of idea, I did that or any other number of possible spin-offs in the Godfather saga. That's actually a really interesting question. I thought I would think something like that would exist in some form or another. Right. Maybe I mean, there's a book or something. I mean, the the, 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 the underthinking answer would be like, well, you know, the Godfather is such the sacrosanct um, pop culture property, which you know, nobody dare, uh, you know, sully the name of by producing anything else. Um, you know, of course, now we know that that's just ridiculous, that... Um, uh, you know that the entertainment companies are going to try to milk uh, anything for all the money that it's worth, and then you know keep squeezing blood out of that stone. I'm mixing metaphors here. You get a point here. <laughs> yeah. Um, why aren't there more Godfather movies? It, it puzzles the mind. Fair enough. There could be also the the um uh gosh the uh the Chronicles. You could do the TV show like with Sarah Connor, but with uh the uh with the mafia people all right never mind uh, that one also landed with a bit of a thud so we're gonna stick that dismount <laughs> jump to a handspring vault over the palm horse and <laughs> land on john parrish how are you doing john what up what hey. up what up what up it's gold all right <laughs> so i'm gonna cheat a little and do a tv series instead of a movie although once you hear what it's going after you'll understand and even then maybe we could just do a movie adapted by the tv series and that is 24 CTU Des Moines. 
<laughs> okay. While while all these amazing things are happening in Los Angeles, which is where Jack Bauer is based out of, I believe seven of the eight or six of the eight seasons of Twenty Four. CTU is apparently a federal agency, which means it has offices all across the United States. So there's got to be some stretch of the country, and I picked Des Moines, Iowa, because I've already referenced it in the podcast, where folks are just watching on TV what's going down in Los Angeles. And every now and then the manager will get called into a conference call to be like, all right, here's what the situation is. But no one actually has to do anything. So they just gossip about everyone they've heard about in Los Angeles. Like, oh, I hear that. I hear that Jack Bauer guy. He's a bit of an he's a bit of an asshole, isn't he? Yeah, I hear he shot. I hear he shot his boss once. Well, yeah, but he said he said it was to get some information. Yeah, but he shot. Like, could you imagine me shooting Jeff? Come on. <laughs> oh, hey, hey, Mike. I, I found this YouTube video of this of all the people from Star Trek singing the song, the words to call me maybe. Uh, oh, that's yeah, yeah, yeah we have time for this right now. Yeah, we have time for it right now. Yeah. <laughs> And there'd be, like, a lot of needless split screens. Like, somebody goes to make coffee, and you get, like, a little, like, you know, it's, like, cut into thirds, where you see, like, the sugar being, like, you know, emptied into the coffee cup in slow motion. And- yeah. yeah, exactly, exactly. Yeah. And Whenever the- anybody died, they'd have the clock be silent, which would happen very rarely, <laughs> like, exceedingly rarely. And, I of suppose. course, the, the big drama within the season would be, would be who hooked up with whom at the uh, summer booze cruise. So, and, as, opposed, as opposed to, as opposed to finding out who's who's the who's the mole in a, in any given uh, season, and of does, course, once it's revealed, there's you know dramatic music, etc. Does Des Moines have geography sufficient for booze cruises? <laughs> there's gotta be a lake or something. I don't. I will leave that question unanswered for now. Some things man was never meant to know, uh, and for everything else, there's Jordan Stokes. How are you doing, Jordan? <laughs> I'm all right. Oh, wow. So it's me already. So um, I've always had this kind of fascination with things that are very clearly of one genre that would then go off the rails and become a completely different and completely incompatible genre. Like if I was watching some after school special about drug abuse that then aliens invaded for some reason. And this, I think this informs my, my answer. What I'd like to see is any... You can kind of pick what franchise I'm talking about. Any supernatural franchise where there's a regular cop who gets swept up in it. So let's take Highlander, just for example, where like the love interest in the first movie is a cop. I want to see what's going on with the rest of her police department. Um, and it's crucial for this to work. You kind of need to have the sort of the crazy shenanigans of uh, you know people beheading each other with swords, getting in the way of some really really important drug busts, and then you need to show <laughs> <laughs> show sort of like the horrible effect that all of these shenanigans are having on like the community that this police department is supposed to be serving. And I want the chief who's like, you're, you know, you're off your case. Uh, you, you like, you, you, you go out there and start doing hand to hands on those dealers, or else you're, I'm going to throw you off the force. And show how like that's really, really important because first of all, they need to get their numbers up, and second of all, like you know, the drug trade is a plague on our inner cities. <laughs> is there going to be like a civil rights lawyer from the local Kurgan population that's complaining about profiling? That's, Probably, uh... <laughs> yeah. You know, <laughs> it's it's sort of like it's sort of like season five of The Wire but in reverse where yes <laughs> where, spoiler alert where mcnulty staged his fake serial killer case in order to get resources and was then loaning those resources out so it's sort of like that in reverse where i guess like this i this you know this headhunting or this headhunter hunting cop 
is constantly losing resources off her case because of, you know, actual drug trafficking and, and, and such going on. Like, what about this serial killer investigation? Someone's lopping off heads all over New York City. Yeah, well, we've we've got this drug. But so so she starts planting drugs on the bodies of <laughs> decapitated immortals. Right. In, order convince, in order to convince her chief, it's part of the it's part of the ongoing drug gang war. It's like, right. hmm, this could be the Colombians. <laughs> yeah, have you guys, have you guys ever seen I Come in Peace? Uh, the Dolph yes. Lundgren, Brian Ben Ben movie, where it's tremendous a, movie. Yeah, it starts out as an investigation of the mafia, right? And it turns out that it's these two intergullies, these aliens, right? One's an alien drug dealer who I believe injects people with heroin and harvests their brain fluid as like a powerful psychoactive drug for aliens, and the other is like a narc from the space that's come to try to stop him, and they just have absurd gunfights in otherwise mundane situations. And then Dolph Lundgren is off the force, and Brian Ben Ben is by the book, and all that other nonsense happens, right? Pete, um, Pete, you can't. I come in peace without mentioning Dolph Lundgren's key line in this movie. Are you aware, uh, are you aware of this? Oh yeah, I'm aware. I've seen it at least three times. So sure. <laughs> it used to be in the Channel 11 annual rotation on WPIX. They would play the same movies every year, and so I would watch it. But yeah, do you want to do the, the line, Mark? Uh, no, I, the thing is, I only know of the line because I've heard it mentioned on another podcast, completely out of context, on a tech podcast of all things. Um, so I've actually never seen the movie, so I don't know how exactly I was delivered. So oh, Pete, do the honors. I, I believe the the, uh, the drug dealer always says it like, uh, I come in peace. And he's got like white eyeballs or whatnot. And then uh, Dolph Lundgren kind of has a bit of a California accent in this movie. And he goes, and you go in pieces. And then he shoots him. <laughs> <laughs> and he, he fires a gun, which I think blows up an entire like refinery or power plant. <laughs> um, they have these alien guns. Anyway, uh, rather than recount the events of a movie that none of you are going to see. Uh, I will. C- I come in peace. Legacy would be pretty awesome. Uh, yeah. You find out more about that mechanic whose bra you get to see in that one scene. Uh, <laughs> it's one of those movies, man. You're like 14 or 15. You don't know what you're doing. Uh, anyway, uh, I think you guys have talked about some things you've been fascinated with. Uh, I, I I'm a little bit hungry, and so I'm thinking about how when I was younger. Sometimes uh, my mom would go to a special bakery and, and get these really delicious uh, chocolate chip cookies, and uh, it would be a struggle to try not to eat them at night when I was awake and everyone else was asleep because I don't sleep much. And so for me, my movie would be Can't Hardly Wait Legacy, which would follow the uh, parents and or older siblings of the various kids at the Can't Hardly Wait gradu- high school graduation party as they like are going about their evening routines, staying up through the night, watching I Come in Peace on WPIX, trying not to eat like the Danishes that are left over for the next morning. Uh, and it would just it would be <laughs> – and every once in a while, someone would go streaking or Jenna Elfman would be wearing an angel costume in the background of a shot and you wouldn't understand why. Or like there would be uh, Jennifer Love Hewitt, but they wouldn't show her face and it's not clear why that's happening or why that's significant, but the person is always thinking about the delicious the delicious cookies. So anyway, there you go. There are our suggestions. Now, uh, <laughs> I just have to say, like, a movie that's about somebody wanting to eat cookies and never eating the cookies sounds like the most punishing slog of a film I've ever heard conceived. <laughs> All right. Have you never seen Harold and Kumar go to White Castle? <laughs> no, 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 but that's about somebody who's perfectly willing to eat the hamburgers but is prevented from eating them by extrinsic means. Whereas this is like... Ingmar Bergman would direct, right? It's just a black and white shot of, a, of Max von Sydow staring at the plate of cookies and not eating them and, and like, weeping inside. <laughs> it would have one of the top uh, adult contemporary pop hits of 1998 as well. Right, right. <laughs> That's something like, unpredictable. Yeah, exactly. 
<laughs> All right, so we shouldn't progress any farther in our discussion of the Bourne legacy without noting two facts. Uh, in fact, I would say two important absences in this movie. The first being us, and the second one being Matt Damon. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, Matt Damon did not participate in this movie, as far as we know, willingly, although we'll get to exactly what that means in a second. But we also didn't go to see it, and probably for the same reason that odds are you listen to this podcast also probably didn't go and see it. Maybe you did. If you saw it, comment on the podcast, but that's not what we're going to talk about right now. John had an interesting point he wanted to bring up about this notable absence that I uh, – Yes. I did. So, all right. Bear with me. Has anyone <laughs> seen the 1999 uh, Steve Martin, Eddie Murphy movie, Bowfinger? Yes. Love yes. it. Oh, yeah. Okay. Good. good. It's, it's a room full of people who like Bowfinger. Okay. So hearing the description of this movie, like, oh, okay, it's a movie about this successful action you know, hero, but it doesn't have the action hero in it at all. It has this other guy who kind of looks like him. So we're going to run around and film him being in the same places as this action hero and try and convince people it's the same movie. Does that strike anyone else as the plot of Bowfinger? Because that, that's the first thing that jumps to mind when I hear this Born Legacy description. Well, oh, except in this one, they're not trying to convince anybody that Matt Damon is in the movie, right? I mean, they're, they, they're they, upfront about that. Well, they, they show his picture several times. They're like, oh, you know, Jeremy Renner is, you know, he's on the run because of this, this trouble with Matt Damon. And I suppose the, the title perhaps could be a bit misleading. <laughs> <laughs> the, other thing, the other thing it reminds me of is this, and this may just be because I was watching Kung Fu movies before jumping on the podcast, but... Right after Bruce Lee died, there was a whole spate of movies that were cheap knockoffs of his earlier movies that were attempts to cash in on his legacy. Like, oh, Bruce Lee, he died in, you know, Greece, so now his cousin's going to go and avenge his death. And it's Bruce Lee spelled L-I, or it's Bob Lee, L-E-E, or, you know, Jim Stan Lee. Yeah. Stan Lee wait, 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 wait. The Grease movie that I saw had a lot of singing and dancing in 50s cars. Um, that's with no Bruce Lee or kicking. Different, different Grease, different Grease, Mark. Different oh, movie. okay. okay. <laughs> the Grease movie I had had Anthony Quinn acting really pensive, sort of dancing slowly. Different, different Greek, different Greek. <laughs> okay. Different Greek. <laughs> oh yeah. man, my, my but, favorite of those, my favorite of those movies is Enter the Fat Dragon, starring Sammo Hung. Yeah. <laughs> He's not fat though. He's just big boned. <laughs> and, and a little bit sad, I guess. So, so what we're talking about here is also sort of what happens with Natalie Portman in the Avengers, right? They show her picture on like a little hologram during the movie, but she's not in the movie because they need to pay her way too much, and they're already paying a bazillion dollars to make this movie, and they aren't going to give her any lines, and she doesn't want to be in it, right? So Matt Damon, as you understand it from previews and from commercials, is kind of this presence in the movie, but isn't there himself. And so they're sort of trying to sell you his presence uh, as a, sort of an endorsement, I guess, like. <laughs> Like, that he didn't leave just because he hates you <laughs> or whatever. Like, this isn't your fault for, you know, or something like that. I guess in a goodwill hunting sort of way, yeah. right? Like, uh, like he still loves you. He just is busy, Born Identity uh, franchise. Like, yeah. he's still around. I don't know. Um, I mean, in, in a way, it's, it seems like a plausible transition to pull off because Jason Bourne was always supposed to be, you know, a mere cog in a massive machine, right? That, like, he is a, a, quite literally that he's an interchangeable piece 
You know, it's like who even knows what his real name is? And like a massive spy apparatus, and he's 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 not even sure exactly like you know how deep the rabbit hole goes and like what the real role is. So obviously, there's there's a lot that you could there's a lot of stories that you could tell about like the shadowy spy organization that that gave birth to Jason Bourne and uses him to do God knows what. Um, you know, based on the reviews, it seems like they haven't quite managed to sort of like. Uh, Open the open the world, uh, expand the canvas large enough to to make it more interesting. You know, I I did not see the movie, but I talked to someone who saw the movie, and their take <laughs> on it was that this is like this is a perfectly good spy movie that got gummed up by trying to pretend it was a Jason Bourne movie. They're like there's sort of the, the a plot, which is serviceable spy action, and then there'll be a scene where people are like, "Hey, remember that other movie? Yeah, that was a pretty good movie." <laughs> and then, uh, <laughs> and then the plot will like kick in again. So yeah, they, they seem to have some transition yeah. problems. One of the one of the things I got from reviews that that seems kind of interesting is this whole uh, flowers for Algernon subplot. Has anybody else read about this? I read flowers for Algernon. Yeah. Gotcha. So I'm interested okay. in seeing where this is going. <laughs> the Jeremy Render character he he's not an amnesiac like the first movie. He knows exactly who he is, and part of the plot of the movie involves. Um, Involves he, he used to be uh, kind of dumb. Basically, when he was recruited for this, they make it clear that like he's he's basically the uh, like a Forrest Gump type soldier who's like you know <laughs> barely able to take orders, not very smart at all. And uh, this program that he sort of volunteers for involves like a lot of uh, genetic uh, engineering and uh, taking various supplements and training, so that like he has um, all sorts of. Um, he becomes like very, very smart, but only as long as he's taking these pills, which he has to stop taking at the beginning of the movie. So there's a sort of plot where like he's gradually losing his superpowers and he has to sort of like deal with that. Like, you know, like like he has only limited time to like find himself, uh, you know, more pills basically to, to keep his supply going or else he's going to like spend the rest of the movie like looking for a rabbit's to pet. <laughs> so it's like Dark Man that he only has so long to use his powers. Kind exactly. Of. Yeah. Uh, that see, that's a movie that I would be much more likely to see than like the reboot slash sequel slash not Damon of the Born thing. If it were something called what, like uh, I don't know, Memory of a Spy. You know, that sounds like it's a romance with Barbara Streisand in it or something. Um, <laughs> Yeah, I watched that. Yeah, I watched that too. No, no, no I got it. I got it. It's, it's Vengeance for Algernon. Vengeance for Algernon. Nice. And so, have you guys have you guys read Flowers for Algernon? Have you read that mm-hmm. book? Oh yeah. yeah okay. Yeah. yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah it's yeah. a short story, right? It's a novella, I would say. Yeah. Right? It wasn't expanded from a short story in a novella at some point, or like into a short novel. It sounds about, about like right. somebody who's stupid and then gets really smart and then gets stupid again, and, and not just smart and stupid, but like you know, mentally handicapped and whatnot. Um, should we use that as our segue to our next topic? Can I People say one more thing about Bourne, yeah, actually, sure. which is that I, from by all, by all accounts, they don't do this, but I feel like they missed a giant opportunity, uh, which is the other thing about Jason Bourne. In addition to being a cog in a machine, he's a spy, right? So you could, you could totally have a movie in which Jason Bourne is a major like motivating factor and never appears on screen. So that, like, people, you know, like, some important person who knows something gets shot, and another character's like, look on the rooftop, that sniper, it's Jason Bourne, and they chase him, and you just see him, like, running in the back of the head into the subway, and they never, like, ever manage to catch up with him. 
but he's constantly, constantly like doing stuff and interacting with the characters from off screen. Mm. It would be so a much mean, sillier movie than what they're going <laughs> for, but I would watch the hell out of that. Well, no. So you mean like a like a monster movie or like a Blair Witch type horror movie rather than a straight up espionage thriller? Because you know the 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 key in those movies is that you never fully see the monster until the last possible act, I guess, in the movie. So we don't actually see the super spy assassin until we have him cornered. And even then, maybe it's just we do some documentary style film work and he's brought out with a bag on his head, etc. So we never really see who it's supposed to be. That could that could work as a gimmick. Yeah, I think it would and be then, fun. And then the last shot, it's like Mark Wahlberg and they're like, what? And then he shoots them. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we, like we caught the guy. We tracked him down to his hometown and they pull it out and it's, it's Affleck. Yeah. <laughs> Affleck, I love it. <laughs> One of these days, I'm going to come. My dream is I'm going to come by your house, and you won't be there. Oh man, it makes me think of Jaka's story, that volume of Cerebus the Aardvark, the the indie comic where they tell the whole story from the perspective of the woman who has been the love interest, right? And it's like very it has a lot of pathos, and there's sort of this presence that's floating outside of the story of the main characters. But then, of course, that guy had a psychotic break and whatnot, and his story kind of went downhill after that. But it's a remarkable work. Um, but yeah. So, I mean, we'll miss Matt Damon now that he's decided to retire from all movies ever, right? Um, or just from <laughs> Jason Bourne movies. Is he going to make Oceans like four, 11 squared or whatever they're doing? Whatever the next one of that nonsense is. Um, <laughs> the Ocean Legacy, which is just about somebody like betting their last $100 on, on roulette before like child services takes their kid away. And meanwhile, <laughs> <laughs> Danny Ocean has tried to break the bank. It would be cool to make a movie about all the different casino movies happening in the same casino, like at the same time. Like the swingers guys are there and like, mm. uh, you know, um, like Robert De Niro in like a salmon colored blazer is like the, the entertainment director from the movie Casino. And Matt Damon <laughs> is simultaneously trying to break into the World Series of Poker and also rob the casino. <laughs> <laughs> There it is. There it is. <laughs> like 12 different James Bonds are like chasing each other. <laughs> 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 oh, Casino Royale, indeed. Definitely. This is like a great if, – if you like drew this poster, you could like sell it on, on and, and, and all, all the nerds would buy it. Yeah. Some sort of some sort of like Nighthawks, but like you know, it's like all the all the you know it's like they have the Nighthawks that has like Marilyn Monroe and James Dean at the counter. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right, right. It would be it would be like that, but like a casino. If anyone yeah. wants to, to audition to be our poster and t shirt designer in residence, you know <laughs> <laughs> Well supply it. we're so we got lots of great ideas for t shirts, man. It's totally a thing. <laughs> like <laughs> That's like the best business model to have, which is ideas for funny T-shirts. Uh, I can't lose, definitely. <laughs> yeah, I don't think that market has been saturated yet. <laughs> no, no, no. I think that there's a hunger out there. That'd be kind of a great, uh, a great Twitter feed, right? Like ideas at, at ideas for funny T-shirts. <laughs> <laughs> exactly, exactly. Oh man, I've been I've been waiting for a good segue because we had a good one when we were talking about people who are mentally handicapped, but uh, there hasn't been. A good <laughs> since so then, speaking of sure. markets that are heavily saturated, uh, politics. <laughs> Yay! So there, there was a movie. <laughs> yes, exactly. We wanted to talk about the movie that we did see this weekend, uh, which is, or at least some of us saw, which is the campaign starring uh, Will Ferrell and Zach Galifianakis, and also Dermot Mulrooney in a surprise turn since he's not on the poster. Uh, yeah, this is a movie about a political campaign. Now, of course, on the site, we try to be a little bit, you know, 
politically detached. So I don't necessarily we don't necessarily have to worry about that too much. But um, the movie certainly has a lot to say as a piece of art and a piece of entertainment about our culture. Uh, Stokes, you saw the movie too. What, what were your initial impressions of the movie? First of all, I was under the impression that it was Dylan McDermott. Oh, is it? Is it D- Dylan McDermott? Is that his name? I who think is, so. Yeah. Oh, who is Dermot Mulroney then? Am I totally mis? Oh no, no, no! Dermot Mulroney is a guy from my best friend's wedding who looks kind of like him, but is not the same guy at all. Never mind, Dylan McDermott. You're right. Send yeah. in the questions. We're gonna have people hovering <laughs> at us over that one. You picked the wrong hunk from the, <laughs> <laughs> the wrong vaguely, vaguely Irish-sounding hunk. Um, <laughs> exactly. I think it's a really, really interesting movie um, to talk about because it's a satire of how devoid of substance politics are. Politics is. Um, yeah. <laughs> but is it, 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 manage, it manages itself to have no substance. Like, it, it criticizes how all of the political discourse is just sort of like name-calling and uh, slogans and uh, branding, but it never actually takes a position on any any issue beyond the idea that, like, money in politics is bad and literally selling chunks of America to a Chinese toy manufacturer <laughs> for them to, uh, like... Im- import sweatshops would be bad which right. strikes me as like the same kind of name calling and sloganeering yeah this, yeah i think yeah go ahead no go on go on oh i see so so i mean the obvious not the obvious because uh, i don't think this is necessarily something that everybody keeps in mind while watching it but we were talking before the podcast too the movie does seem to be related uh to the 1972 film the candidate I mean, I accidentally called this movie The Candidate a bunch of times when I was talking about it earlier, which is a Robert Redford movie that does the opposite of what you're talking about, which satirizes politics in kind of a dark, grim way, right? It has this sort of, uh, you know, this ideological but not politically minded guy who runs for office and he kind of has a heart of gold, but he's losing and he kind of gets dragged into being kind of a talking head. But it definitely has points that it's trying to make about pollution, about busing, like about a bunch of issues in the 70s, political issues. Very liberal movie. Um, but a movie which is sort of like trying to attack this idea of you know, the Cincinnatus, right? the American politician who is also a regular person and who has sort of a heart of gold because they're a regular person. And it shows how the kind of system decays you, like sort of it eats away at you and it, it corrupts you. The difference is in this movie, the campaign, like Will Ferrell and Zach Galifianakis are, are not the kind of people you would want to have in charge of, of anything. Like you wouldn't want them in charge <laughs> of a paddle boat. You know, like they are, yeah. they are off the freaking rails, uh, ridiculous. And part of the... The, the story, or a big part of the story, is that you take these people who have no business doing anything, and then the system is what makes them into anything resembling political candidates, and the system is terrible, right? So it's, it's sort of like um, – it's not that money has come into politics and ruined it, right? It's that people are not suitable for politics, or there is no right. Capable of governing ourselves. Not even, there's not even like an authoritarian figure who should be doing it. It's just like a human foibles movie. Uh, and then it shows the sort of toxic effect that being involved with these kind of superstructures has on these people's lives. Um, right. but, but yeah, it is, it is interesting because it's tough. I'm not, even I'm missing the, the true sort of vacantness of it to an extent. Like it's, it's really, it has a really deep kind of flippant pes- uh, pessimism. Right? Yeah, like, yeah. It's like the, the characters are not likable in a way that. 
in, in many ways, it felt like uh, a series of Saturday Night Live sketches cobbled together into a movie, except that usually when people make that criticism, what they mean is that like you have random characters who don't belong in the same film together. That doesn't happen here. Like It yeah. all hangs together. You're able to sustain a narrative about these characters, but at no point do you ever... like care if one of them were to keel over like from an aneurysm halfway through a scene i doubt that anyone in the audience would be bothered right they'd be sad if the pugs look sad yeah (laughs) the pugs are the heart and soul of that movie (laughs) just like the olympics opening ceremonies huh those are corgis (laughs) right no they were corgis yeah so i mean i guess for for those of you who haven't seen the movie um the, the the real basic gist of it is that Will Ferrell's character is like an awful, incompetent, idiotic, boorish womanizer, right? Uh, he's a Will Ferrell character in a movie. It's it's a fairly similar character to Ron Burgundy, but much more like sinister, right? And also even worse at what he does. Uh, and he's the incumbent. Uh, he's the incumbent Democrat. And then Zach Galifianakis is like a, a feat. Uh, kind of man-child who works for a travel agency that has no business and keeps these two little pug dogs and his father is like hugely hooked up with the Republican Party, right? And and Zach Galifianakis is like sort of creepy and vacant and kind of strange and has a family that's like all obese for comical purposes, I'll say. Uh, I'll make Mm -hmm. that stretch. Um, and, And it's sort of like he, it's, it's, it's set up to be that Zach Galifianakis has this sort of heart of gold, Right, he's the one who knows everybody in the town, and he's gonna, and he gets selected by what are essentially the the, Co- the Koch brothers, the Mach brothers, played by John Lithgow and, and Dan Aykroyd, uh, to run for office so that he can literally like sell the district to China, uh, to this to his Chinese corporation. Um, and he thinks he's going to be this altruistic person, but then he ends up being just as terrible as Will Ferrell is, right? Like uh, maybe not just yeah. as terrible. He doesn't punch the baby or punch the little dog. Um, well, but those are those are accidents, right? Like he's. Yeah. He's uh, in the process of becoming a viable candidate. He becomes like a bad guy, and his marriage yeah. falls apart. And he like he betrays Will Ferrell after Will Ferrell sort of opens up to him. Um, so, so that's like the narrative that it's meant to be, right? Is that he he starts out as a, a decent guy, um, although creepy and clueless, uh, and ends up becoming like a a more effective person, but a sinister person. Yeah. Um, and then the happy end is that he goes back to being an idiot man-child and wins the election anyway. Well, he loses the election, but then Will Ferrell quits. Right, <laughs> it, yeah. It's, yeah. it's almost <laughs> certainly not actually legal. Yeah, <laughs> like, <laughs> it doesn't work that way. I, I kept expecting the movie to actually like pull that punt. And be like, it's like, well, you know, that's nice, but nothing you said has any legal bearing, so you are still... <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> You can't just quit after you win an election and give it to the person who came in second. Like yeah. that's just not an option that you have. The the governor of North Carolina would have to pick who would become the next uh, congressperson, but that's so, not necessary. I have, well, a, question that, that, for, I have a question for you guys who have seen the movie. Um, I feel like in most uh, fictional depictions of politics and elections, um, the the storytellers go through great pains so as not to attach specific political parties to the characters. Uh, in order to sort of strengthen uh, its use as an allegory, right, as being sort of more universally applicable to both political parties. But you mentioned before that the Will Ferrell character is a Democrat and Zach Galifianakis is a Republican. Um, first of all, do you, do you agree that sort of it's more typical to, to see uh, storytellers avoid the use of political parties? And, um, and the second question then is, like, you know, in this case of this movie, in the campaign, like, what do we make of the fact that, you know, that, that, that uh, both political parties are mentioned? Are we meant... Is it taking a? Is it supposed to be leaning towards either Republican or Democrat? 
Interesting. I feel like it leans Democrat, if only because the real villains behind the scenes are like, I mean, a, a clear uh, version of the Koch brothers. Right. Right. Um, down to the silly name. But I think that they made a conscious choice to make the Democratic and Republican establishments completely interchangeable. Um, and I think you see this in that Will Ferrell, although he's the Democrat character, is like the bigger Bible thumper of the two. And he's doing his, uh, his Will Ferrell alpha bro uh, persona, which is sort of by and large a I mean I don't know not exactly a republican persona but it's used closer to the the republican monster in the closet that democrats worry about than towards the democrat monster in the closet that republicans worry right. about if that makes any sense well it sounds and like his uh, caricature of George W Bush on Saturday night live yeah, but pretty close to that and uh, Zach Galifianakis although he's the republican candidate um you get this more in the trailer than in the film film itself, but one of the things that he's sort of meant to look like is uh, like he's homosexual and therefore unsuitable for office. And they actually don't hit that at all when you're watching the movie, which I think is, is a nice touch. But he is definitely a feat, um, which again is, I mean, that's not something that's been associated with uh, the GOP, like at least since William Buckley stopped uh, being a major face of it, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, there definitely is the extent to which, like, Zach Galifianakis is, like, the more pious of the two, but Will Ferrell is the one who, like, goes to the church that speaks in tongues and tries to handle the snakes to prove his religious devotion, which is a pretty funny scene. Uh, yeah, and the, the, I think the basic gist of it is that the Democrats, the Democratic candidate is more of a womanizer, and the Republican candidate is um, a closeted gay person, but that's not really what they go into. What What happens in the movie, to really repudiate all this, is that the the Mach brothers switch sides uh, halfway through the movie. They realize that Zach Galifianakis isn't going to do what they want him to do, so they pull their financial support from Zach Galifianakis and they throw it behind Will Ferrell. Uh, there's a scene where, um, where I'm just going to say Dermot Mulroney, even though that's not him. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> what's his name? Uh, Dylan McDermott. Dylan McDermott, <laughs> who's from, I believe, what, The Practice, I believe is what yeah, he's that, from? Yeah, that's uh, – and, and like lots of – I think he's Steel Magnolias or something. He's been around. Yeah, yeah exactly. He like shows up behind Will Ferrell in the, in the shower like in a black suit. It's like, hey, yeah. <laughs> I'm going to make you badass or something like that. Um, but yeah, but so they, it's – the point that the movie makes about the Democrats and the Republicans is that neither of them is above the other in terms of taking bribes um, yeah. or you know, taking money. There's a scene where Will Ferrell has, has a, I think, lunch with Goldman Sachs representatives who – and he basically offers them – uh, sex with his wife in exchange for a million dollars in campaign contributions, and it's, uh, it's not entirely turned down. <laughs> like it seems like uh, <laughs> they kind of accept it. Uh, right. Yeah. <laughs> so I mean, like, so yeah. Not not only is not not one above the other, but they're interchangeable. And the, the yeah. not not ascribing any political position other than like, let's not cede part of our territory to China. Um, there is no <laughs> position that either party takes on any single issue. Um, yeah. So, like, it's all just all just meaningless. Yeah, exactly. I think that... I um, think... Oh, go on. Oh, oh, I was going to say... <laughs> I'm not as good at this as rather as rather is. You should yeah. go ahead. <laughs> um, what's interesting about it, uh, I was talking to my wife about this sort of, the fact that it doesn't say anything, and, like, well, 
the, because they want to market it to as many people as possible. If it actually took a position on any issue, well, then it would be identifiable with one of the parties, and half of America would get up in arms about it, um, which might actually drive viewership to the movie, come to think of it. But, but it does make sense that they tried to make it as bland as possible in that sense. Um, which means that the few positions that it does end up taking turn out to be really interesting because you have here sort of determined by committee, no doubt, the political positions that they are confident everybody in both political parties are totally comfortable holding, which is, I mean, you know, okay, don't cede U.S. territory to communist China. That's one. <laughs> yep. Um, it would be creepy if somebody who was a big segregationist back in the day paid his Asian housemaid extra to talk like the mammy character from Gone with the Wind. Which That's happens too. Yes. It's really funny. I'm going to try not to get hung up on this. So just continue. You should see the movie because it's done very tastefully. She's a very yeah. character. Yeah, very, very. You, you, she's, she's clearly like the best part of the movie. I have to say, yeah. uh, they, they do it. They do. They do well with it. <laughs> so they say what it's like. So it's like the good old days, right? Is what is how she describes yeah. how he feels about yeah. it. The sort of the old school. He's like Jesse. He's supposed to be Jesse Holmes's campaign manager. Um, but you were listing things. Um, so the, so those are the two. Uh, pugs are adorable. Is three. Yeah. Yes. Um, the one that I think is kind of interesting has to do with Zach Galifianakis's character's family life. Because like I said, you from the trailer, it seems like he's a closeted homosexual, and that's going to be the joke that they make. But they don't. Like He has a very functional family unit. unit. He and his wife are very happy together, whatever is going on there. Um, and yet they are perverts in the sort of clinical sense of that word. The whole family is perverted. They do things that aren't normal and derive great joy from them such as i think at one point they they like they decide that they're he's been spending too much time with politics they're just going to have a a fun family night like they used to have which means eating like a table full of of twinkies and twizzlers and then chasing each other the whole family chases each other around the house shooting each other with the kind of nerf gun that shoots a a when you kind of push the the grip of it towards your hand. It's sort of like a pump shotgun action that shoots a a, a rocket, a Nerf rocket off the end, which is basically they're throwing phalluses at each other. Like the whole family (laughs) runs around the house doing this. And this is meant to be adorable rather than creepy. I mean, it's comical. You're laughing at it, and yet you do think that he's saving his soul here. They're like doing this, sitting in your home, eating powdered donuts and throwing foam phalluses at your wife is like the right way to live. And I find that kind of fascinating. <laughs> yeah. The movie does make one point about politics, I think. And, and that's related to this, other than the whole, we don't like the Koch brothers and money and politics is bad, which is this whole point about people being perverted in their private lives. Because uh, there's a scene near the end of the movie where Zach Galifianakis gives a big speech where he actually he gets a bunch of commercial time and he gives just a big monologue of like all the weird, creepy things he's done over the years and all the things he's ever done wrong. And the idea is that by coming clean, 
he you know sort of rises above all the horrible things the campaign has made him do, and even if it does, he doesn't win, he gets a certain amount of personal redemption. And there's a montage where you cut all the way around the town, and all of the people start confessing all the horrible, perverted things that they do, right? Which then echo a scene earlier in the movie where Zach Galifianakis's family are, are doing sort of a, a religious style confession around the table. Oh no, I'm sorry, it's, Zach Galifianakis is trying to sort of get them ready for the political scrutiny they're going to face, and he's like, "You should come clean about everything that you've done." wrong so that we know about it for the campaign and his sons just start rifling off this horrible things like there's this biker man who lets me touch his wife's breast like <laughs> i let it go like perform oral sex on me you know like at the petting zoo and it's just it's just sort of like it's it's like in um in talladega nights where they're around the table talking about baby jesus and they just keep riffing and riffing and heightening and heightening um yeah. so in this so movie that's... yeah it, oh, go ahead so that's that's an interesting thing, and I I know we're we're staying away from the particularly political, but it, it, I'll throw in one fairly general observation along the lines of the selling the U.S. to China is is bad, which you know is one of those broad enough that we can all agree with, namely that in obviously in in real world American politics, which this is clearly riffing off of, there's always something of a there's always something of a scandal, whether on a greater or lesser scale, when some minor indiscretion is discovered in a candidate's past, whether it's trying drugs in college or pr- past relationships or something like that. And, you know, there's always one side that will make a big fuss over it and the other side they'll say it's not that big of a deal. But – and obviously it, so- it sounds like this movie, you know, takes that, heightens it to a comic extreme and then sort of, you know, resolves it with, with bathos. But uh, as an observation – wouldn't it be terrifying if there were a candidate for office who genuinely didn't have anything in their past like that, who was just a smooth, featureless, soulless robot groomed, yeah. from, groomed from birth to rule us with no other interests or passions or, or other desires? No, no, uh, no perversions, right? Like that yes. would be <laughs> someone, someone with someone with no perversions, someone who's who's never broken any law, no matter how trivial. Who's who's never ma- who's never made a misstep? Like, wouldn't would we want that sociopath ruling us? Oh, he won the popular vote, but not the electoral vote. I wasn't sure if that's who you were talking about. If you're talking uh, about, you know, I, I, <laughs> I guess I, I guess I was. I yeah, I mean, but it would be terrifying, and I think that that's there's this great Onion article that was published years ago that I that I still think is one of my favorite things they've ever written, which is I think what is a hundred percent of Americans have secret lives. Or something like that, where it's like, uh, this woman in Cleveland sat down and ate an entire can of cat food today. You know, like this person played with paper dolls that were like the people in his, lo- in his life that he's lost or something like that. Um, but yeah, but, but definitely the, the movie takes the position that it's absurd for politics to ask us to provide people who haven't done any of these things because everybody has done them. And then a lot of the movie is just showing the most horrible gaffes and horrible things that these individuals could possibly do and it's a contest to see whose is worse yeah. or if they're if they're bad because there's some of them are really bad and people like them right like there's the one where will ferrell seduces zach galifianakis's wife <laughs> out of retribution <laughs> for uh for making his son say that he wishes that he was his zach galifianakis was his dad <laughs> <on video. laughs> and there's this big monologue about like you know you know what, what, how does he phrase it he's like you make my son tell me that you're his dad and i'll 
bleep your wife. Like, turn the page. That's the rule. And yeah. so he, he takes footage of himself having sex with Zach Galifianakis' wife and, like, puts it on a television commercial. And he gets a bounce <laughs> from it. Like, he gets, like, a couple points up in the polls, yeah. uh, which is a kind of a throwaway. But because uh, yeah. at this point, the movie is so absurd. Um the escalation yeah. from there is Zach Galifianakis like shoots him in the leg in, oh, in broad that, yeah. daylight and gets a bump in the balls. <laughs> <laughs> that was a great scene because uh, you, did you catch the subtlety in that scene? There's a real, there's a fun movie reference in that scene uh, because Will Ferrell is going deer hunting and he's in full deer hunting gear. He looks absurd uh, and, he, and he says that when he he's, he's got a deer that's dead and frozen waiting for him in the woods and what's going to happen is he's going to yell Black Hawk down and when he yells Black Hawk down that's the symbol signal for the camera crew to roll in and videotape him like finding the dead deer but then Zach Galifianakis shoots him and he falls and he goes, Black Hawk down! And then he says, I think he shot me in the femur. Uh, which is a reference to the movie Black Hawk Down, which has that awful surgery scene where the guy's femoral artery is, is – uh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> like it's really specific. Yeah. Like I, I don't forget that scene. Like there's a scene where the guy's femoral artery gets detached and they're trying to perform surgery to pull out the femoral artery. You just sort of like it. reach in there and grab it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And like <laughs> it was – it's not a coincidence I think that he yells Black Hawk Down when his femur gets blasted by That's Zach Galifianakis' so... deer gun. Such a weird movie, definitely. <laughs> Oh man, but yeah, and it is it is pretty uh, one of the big changes between the campaign between the candidate and the campaign, right? Is like in the romanticized Robert Redford satire, uh, he's running for senator of California, all right, and which is like a, a thing of great importance. And in this movie, they're running for the 14th congressional district of North Carolina. So there's a lot of Joe, sort of there's a lot of kind of subliminal humor about how inconsequential it is, right, and how Southern people are kind of not really involved. Um, in politics mm-hmm. in a serious way. Uh, I don't know. Mark, you're a Southerner. Like, uh, this sort of stuff tends to rub you the wrong way. Um, do you have the sense yeah. that you want to say anything about oh, this? I, I have a complex relationship with portrayals of the South. <laughs> which I'm, I'm, I'm not going to fully get into Let's just put it this way. It, it's that uh, on one, at the same time, I take umbrage at the, um, at the bashing of the South, and at the same time, I also like totally understand where it's coming from and sympathize with a lot of it. Um, right. I mean, I mean, I have not seen this, and you know, if you were to tell me like that this movie is about the 14th congressional district in North Carolina and that it's of little consequence, um, I, I don't. I, I mean, my reaction would be like, well, every congressional district, if it's contested, is, is quite of consequence, uh, just given how the um, uh, how fractured our politics are these days, and uh, and you know, just the importance of controlling a, a given body of the legislature. This is true. This is true. I guess what I mean by it is that none of the people there seem to care about any political issues at all, right? And it's all about yeah. the God stuff, and it's all about, like, who's the better well, family man. And it, well, it's it's the people that. in the South, the God stuff, that is, those are the political issues. If you're talking about the, uh, the culture <laughs> war stuff like abortion and, uh, and gay marriage and yeah. that sort of thing. But that's not – obviously not um, – uh, not, it does not come up in the movie, right? It's- no, no, no. It, it does seem interesting. To, I, I didn't see the movie, but just judging from the trailer, it, like you said, that they don't want to make fun of Democrats. They don't want to make fun of Republicans. They don't want to get specific and take sides. But what they do seem comfortable doing is making fun of the South. You know, like Talladega Night style, making fun of like Red Red America. Uh, yeah, I mean, is yeah, that yeah. is that accurate? What do you think, bit. Jordan? It's a little. It's not. It doesn't feel overwhelmingly that way because the people are generally well off. Right, yeah. like uh, I mean, they're, they're not. It's not. It's not like uh, redneck exploitation. Yeah, like it's not. Um, I would say even that Talladega Nights goes further down that road than this one does. Um, if anything, this is like 
the South that this makes fun of is actually a more culturally specific South. Because um, it's not poor, it's more like uh, Southern weirdness. Like, um, I don't know, did anyone read Midnight in the Garden of Good and Evil? No? Crickets. All right. Crickets. I, I, read, I read that part of the Bible, but... Like, the picture of the South as, as like, a, a place where people are uh, eccentric. Um, yeah, then, that was, that was uh, Savannah, Georgia. Yeah. Yes. So, I mean, that, that's, that's the particular confluence of, and at least this depiction in pop culture, of money and Southern and Southern culture. And there is, I mean, there is something to be said for, you know, well, there's also something to be said for the weirdness of old money in, you know, the mid Atlantic and new England, for instance, like after, after several generations, after several generations of money being accumulated, people just start acting weird in certain ways, I guess. It's it, it, it's just that I guess in the in the Northeast and the Mid Atlantic states and maybe out west it's I don't know that it's harder to I don't know what the difference is but yeah the, the South is is weird in its own kind of way when it comes to old money. If I had to guess, uh, the money that's being that's being displayed in this movie in the South is not old money but in fact new money. Um, uh, just uh, a lot of the the cultural depictions of old money in the South that you see. Well, there's not it's not a lot of them. Um, they're just sort of a little bit more behind the scenes and at least sort of in the real economic sense of what's going on in the South is that, um, uh, you know, the sort of the, um, what do you call this, the, the Sun Belt uh, revolution of sorts, you know, after, um, uh, after starting about, say, like the 1980s or so, where uh, workers were coming from the North down into the South and the Southern economies were, um, were, were very invigorated. Uh, that, is, that is new money. That is not old money. Is that the case in this movie? Well, Zach Galifianakis' father, who is uh, played, gosh, by is it is it Bobby Cox or no? Who is it that plays Dermot uh, Dermot Mulroney? Dermot Mulroney. Dermot McDermott. <laughs> Ian McDermott plays plays him. Ian McKellen. No, it's uh, <laughs> Dermot McDermott of the Clan McDermott. <laughs> so if there was a cop in Highlander, uh, yeah, no, it, it's Brian Cox. It's Brian Cox uh, plays his dad. The, the father is definitely kind of old Southern gentry. I mean, oh, that's the, okay. the joke about like in the good old days. This is how the black people would talk. But the the, the Mach brothers are new money, and there is definitely uh, an aesthetic choice that's particularly present in. Um, now I don't even know which guy it is. James McAvoy is um... – <laughs> so I'm thinking of two characters. I'm thinking of, of, of uh, Dylan McDermott and I'm thinking of Will Ferrell's wife uh, are both sort of very sharply dressed and look kind of like actual celebrity personas uh, to a much greater degree than all the other characters do. They all kind of look silly and they're all kind of parodies of people, but those two people are kind of threateningly sharply dressed. And I think that that and the wife has this point at one point she leaves Will Ferrell and she gets a job at a political consultancy, which then pays her fifty thousand dollars a day to hang out with Will Ferrell, um, which is kind of an interesting <laughs> little turn. But uh, but there's this there's this definitely sense of like the Washington power, right? Which the the sort of the wonks, the the politerati, like the people from Washington who are going to come in and exercise their 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 decision making in these in- environments and the money and resources that they have are on a higher order than even the stuff that Zach Galifianakis' dad has. Like Zach Galifianakis' dad has like a name and he has connections, but it's it's pretty clear that that stuff is kind of subordinated under the the money these days. Um, right. And yeah, the professionalism. Yeah, like he's, he's the sideshow, right? The the real yeah. wheel behind the wheel is the Mach Brothers, and they are not Southern. 
No, um, they're not. And, and like the people mm-hmm. they bring in to run the campaign are not Southern. So yeah, it's a. Uh, I don't know. It has an interesting relationship with place, I would say. Yeah. Um, let, me, let me ask you another question, something I, I got out of the trailer. Is this the case that, that Will Ferrell has run unopposed in the past? Yeah, it's implied. Yeah. That, yeah. that I mean, is it, it seems like what they're doing is sort of telling a fairy tale where, like, there are no politics. There's no partisan uh, rancor in this particular town until these sort of shadowy figures sort of, like, uh, bring this evil upon them, right? And, and make them have this, like, negative campaign. It's not something that grew organically out of genuine differences of opinion. And, and, you know, it sort of tells us they were like everybody was happy because they had like a good leader who actually like wanted to do the right thing. And that like these partisan politics could be put aside if like the leaders would would remember like, you know, I mean, there, there's sort of like a, a element of wish fulfillment to it. Right. So, so it's like season five of the West Wing in reverse. Hmm. It, it's like that. But there's one difference, which is that they don't like Will Ferrell. They, they, the movie opens with like Will Ferrell. Ferrell. He, he opens up with Will Ferrell like having a very public affair with a, a young woman in a porta potty at a public event, yeah. um, oh. and like the media outcry that follows this taking place, and how he's like everyone hates him, and 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 how he's an embarrassment, but he's still going to be the congressman because nobody else wants to do it. Uh, and it's also and, like he he got into politics for the right reasons. Um, but that was when he was running for, like, a middle school class president. And ever since he has been an actual politician, he has cared about nothing but staying elected. Um, so, like, the, the rancor of politics is new, but the incompetence and venality of politics uh, is very old. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm. I, think, I think the most effective thing that anyone does in the entire movie is when Will Ferrell is in, what, fifth grade, and he manages to get the school to take down its rusty jungle gym. Uh, and that's like the only thing that any politician does in the movie that's of like any real value to anybody. So, let me contrast uh, this portrayal, this humorous portrayal of politics in our current pop culture with the other very prominent humorous portrayal of politics in our pop culture, and that being the TV show Parks and Recreation. Um, do you, any of you guys watch this show to any significant extent? Anyone? Nope, just me? Well, <laughs> I'm surprised. I thought more people would watch it. I just I haven't I haven't really. I've seen up like it. a dozen episodes of it recently, so I'm far from an authority on it. But I've seen enough of it to get a, a sense of it. So uh, my sense of Parks and Recreation is that uh, the main character in it, Leslie Nope, right, who you know works, who is a civil servant, works for the Parks Department, and then runs for city council. Um, that she this narrative around her is that um, she is able to rise above the banality of politics and sort of the inanity and, and bureaucracy of government to get things done because she's a good-hearted person and uh, it really has the public good in mind, right? And it sounds like in this movie here, there's not really much rising up above anything at all, right? Um, No, they're they're not really actually trying to accomplish anything. Like, there's no goal. There's nothing that these politicians are going to do. There's no sense that their job is important, right? Like, it's, it's, they're just going to end up in Washington where the same people are going to be in charge. I think one of the other opening scenes of the movie is there's a, a congressman who confronts the Mach brothers about a policy that they're enacting, right, that, that he doesn't like. And they basically threaten to pull funding from his campaign, and he acquiesces. Um, like they, the politicians are irrelevant. Is is the, one of the strong messages? I, I mean, yeah. so I mean, we're, I sound Jordan. It sounds like you're a bit poo pooing this mess, this this movie for lacking a message and for taking any sort of stand. Um, but you know, I guess what I'm sort of getting at here is, uh, I mean, there's room for both the Parks and Recreation and for uh, the cam- a movie like the the campaign. 
in our pop culture discourse. Um, that is to say, like, uh, you know, is it really missing an opportunity or, or is it really just uh, pointing out all the venality for the sake of pointing out venality? And that's okay. That's what this movie wanted to do. It's what it set out to do. And uh, we are entertained by that. And, and that's a contribution. Oh, yeah. I mean, I, I don't mean to come down too hard on it. I definitely enjoyed the movie. Um, and, like, the message that politics is venal is well taken. Politics is very venal. I just, I was pointing out a kind of um, an incoherence or hypocrisy uh, where they are saying it's so it's so terrible that politics has devolved into nothing but name calling where when someone is asked a substantive question, they don't provide a substantive answer. Instead, they just say that their opponent looks funny. And then to follow that up by saying that their opponent, like the movie's ideological opponent, looks funny, um, but not actually propose anything of substance. But, I mean, once you've pointed out that hypocrisy and kind of, like, rolled your eyes at it, there's not much more to say, right? I mean, I, I'm, I'm very... I, I've, I think I've outgrown the part of my life where pointing out and a small hypocrisy in a message has made me completely discard everything else in that message as being, you know, contaminated with ideological, uh, you know, like syphilis or something and not worth touching anymore. <laughs> it's a good yeah. thing our audi- audience doesn't follow that, uh, that line either. They would stop listening to this podcast a long time ago. Hey, oh, waka, waka, waka. Oh. <laughs> uh. Yeah, you'll notice that I have not given my, like, five-point plan for dealing with the issue of China. Oh, by the way, this is another thing, by the way, that this movie tells us America is okay with, which is horrible, horrible slave labor as long as it's in China. Yeah, yeah. He actually says that, right? It's like, why would you want to bring a sweatshop here? You have sweatshops in China. Like, that, <laughs> that actually says that, like not questioning the need for there to be sweatshops in China. Yeah. Like, yeah. When like you have the bad people in the movie, is like it's the Mach brothers and the Chinese themselves. There's no point that it like cuts back to the factory in China and shows that while Will Ferrell is descending from the rafters playing an awesome guitar solo, like there is a boy whose finger just got burned off by like doll sealant or something yeah yeah it's just there there's not there just isn't this interaction it's almost like they don't see this whole process as something that acts on those issues in a meaningful way um yeah what it reminds me of with regards to the olympics i think uh to sort of bring it way back was um i think i might have been talking with one of you guys about this uh it might have been with ryan where the the way that the olympics have become so multinational Right, you know, it used to sort of be that there was these big, the big blocks, and you would be worried about which country would face which country. But now, like all these different countries all over the world have top-notch athletes, and that what it, things it really shows is that you know the power of nations comes from the flow of capital, and, and, and capital will flow where it will flow. So if it means that there's going to be somebody from Trinidad who's like a really awesome runner, they're going to get the investment to be a really awesome runner, right? Like that, it doesn't really mind what flag it flies, right? Um, and I think that that's kind of. Uh, one of the sort of things that has to be at least partially the case for the message of this movie to have bearing on reality, which is that the Mach brothers and people like the Mach brothers in, have to actually kind of be in charge. Because someone actually has to make the decision about what happens with regards to China, right? Like, um, it's not okay to just be like, well, I'm okay with – everybody's so ambivalent. I don't know. I'm, I'm kind of getting lost because really the movie is a farce and it, it's a very funny movie. Um, but it, it, it doesn't – when you said, Mark, that it's like 
oh, is it is it just poo pooing, right? Or is it just no? It's it's really delving into the characters, and it's giving us a, mm. a view on what these characters are, and it's kind of heightening what these characters do. But, but it seems like it doesn't have a lot of teeth in terms of as a political satire. It doesn't interact with our current political axes, as it were, right? Like, there are certain things in our current political discourse that you can talk about that have teeth and that matter and are going to affect the way that people act about things. And you can usually tell what they are because you start getting anxious when you start talking about them. Right? Like, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so, like, I, I could start talking about, like, say, you know, gun control. Oh, no, I can feel that feeling creeping up my spine, right? Like, um, that's one of the issues that the movie doesn't approach. It doesn't have, it yeah. doesn't approach any subject that has teeth that would make people actually anxious. Like, when it talks it about the, um, the religion thing, it doesn't talk about gay marriage or abortion. It talks about, like, which one of these people really, when you get right down to it, loves Jesus. Yeah. Or, I mean, there's not even, Zach Galifianakis goes to a synagogue, right? Like, he, he, goes, yeah. and he goes and talks to all the, the Jewish people, and, and uh... <laughs> that- it, it cuts from that to the snake handling, which I yeah. think is... That's per- perhaps a little bit interesting, right? Yeah. Like, yeah. these are the two fringiest religious choices you could possibly... <laughs> 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 Uh, well, on that note, we yeah. hope that it, the fringy choices that you're making in life, one of them includes the fringiest of fringe choices, which is to come visit us, <laughs> comment on our on our podcast, come join us in the show notes. Uh, we got a movie night coming up next weekend. We're going to go all see The Expendables 2. It's coming out next weekend. It's really exciting. Hope that very, you guys... very, very excited about this. <laughs> We're shooting for Friday on this, right, guys? Yes, I believe. Friday night yeah. in New York City and in... In Boston. Boston, we'll be yeah. in Boston, we'll be in New York, and then I mean, Matt's not in LA; he's in uh, the UK. But anybody out there wants to get something going in your in your uh, in your city? Hashtag ODI Movie Night. We're going to make this happen. Uh, we're excited. I uh, hope you're excited. And uh, and th- although the disillusionment of the campaign has uh, has torn into our souls a little bit, we are nevertheless committed to our mission, which is to be the purveyors of www.overthinkingit.com, the website that subjects the popular culture. To a level of scrutiny, it probably. I mean, I kind of feel bad about saying that the nerf things are phallic. Like, that's the shape that flies well. That's just science that tells you they have to be that shape. It's not because the Nerf people love penises. Nerf has developed like five or six different shapes that fly well. The family had only the penis-shaped ones. All right? (laughs) There was an aesthetic choice made. They could have had footballs. They didn't. I think that means something. You can't make a gun that shoots footballs? (laughs) Well, that sounds like a dare to me. (laughs) See, this is the problem with America. We used to have companies that made things. Now we just have the Matt Belinkies of the world sitting around saying, can't, can't, can't. 